The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso, your host for Born to be Breastfed. Thanks so much for joining me this evening. My guest today is Marsha Forchuk Skripik. Marsha, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Marie, and thank you for pronouncing my name absolutely perfectly. It's a hard one, I know. Well, thanks. You notice I hesitated because I didn't want to get it messed up. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I've spent my share of time saying Biancuzzo, B-I-A, and you know, and then people say to me, could could you say that again? Could you spell that again? That's like, yeah, I've been doing that my whole life. One more time is okay, you know? Uh, for those of you who are joining us, I'd just like to give you a little background here. Marsha is the author of 19 books for children and young adults. And today, we're going to be talking about families and the role of books and breastfeeding in supporting the development of meaningful parent-child relationships. My first familiarity with Marsha was when she wrote the book, The Best Gifts. And this is still considered to be uh, one of the top breastfeeding-themed picture books. And it is, by the way, my favorite breastfeeding book for children, and I've seen a lot of them. And it's been more than 15 years since that book was published, And yet the work was recently reissued with updated information about breastfeeding resources, and uh, there are all new paper-cut illustrations from the illustrator, Ellie McKay. Now, Marcia has other books as well, but I'd really like for her to talk today a little bit about this tremendous book, which has certainly made an impression on me. Uh, Just a little history here. I met Marsha when I had just started publishing our newsletter, which at the time was called, guess what, Breastfeeding Outlook. And I was looking for things other than just the, the clinical stuff. And lo and behold, I ran into this book and I bought it and I loved it. And it was so wonderfully, the the illustrations were beautiful, and the insights were just terrific. And so somewhere along the line, I got the opportunity to just pick up the phone and call Marsha. And um, let me just say that she was every bit as, as wonderful as the book. So, so Marsha, tell us a little bit about The Best Gifts. What was your inspiration for that book? Well, the inspiration for the book originally, when I wrote it in 1997 and it came out in 1998, was my own relationship with my own mother. 
because I'm very close to my my mother, and uh, she did everything for me and my sister in terms of we didn't have a lot of money, but she spent a lot of time and love and, you know, one-on-one time with us. And, you know, I think that just being able to spend uh, time is so important for parents and kids. You know, a lot of times people think that you buy this or you buy that for a child and that's going to be what they need. But really what they need is to be with their mother and their father and their significant, uh, you know, family members. And to me, breastfeeding is the symbol, the ultimate symbol of parent-child relationships. Wow. As you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, what about those people who say to me, oh, breastfeeding isn't convenient, breastfeeding takes too much time? Well, um, you know, the breast goes along with you. Uh, You don't (laughs) refrigerate it, do you? Uh, And, um, you know, it's it's really too bad because a lot of, uh, especially, you know, new Americans, new Canadians, they watch commercials and this and that and the other thing, and they think that the way to uh, become a a citizen of uh, North America is to give up the tradition that they had always done in in the old country, which was always to breastfeed, right? Yes. Um, yes. And so it's really uh, unfortunate that so many things that are the very best for a child are given up in, you know, in the name of commercialism. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. And I mean, there, there can't be anything that's actually more convenient than breastfeeding. You mentioned the old country, and I know that you have had some connections with the Ukraine. I'm wondering then, was your mother from the Ukraine? Uh, no, actually, my mother is of you know very old Canadian. Um, her family uh, was here before there was a Canada. Actually, ah, okay. My uh, my father uh, was Ukrainian. He was born in Canada as well, but his father came in 1912. But I'm very much interested in coming to Canada stories of my 19 books. Uh, virtually all of them are immigrant stories. And so the thing that really struck me is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of patterning that goes on and, you know, people try to adopt the country that they have come to. And if you notice the new illustrations for the new best gifts, um, the, uh, the family that I focus on, they're from India. And the reason that I chose a family from India is because breastfeeding is a natural part of Indian culture. Yes. But um, uh, people from India are the very one of the very most frequent um, early adopters of the bottle as soon as they get here. The other early adopters of the bottle are uh, immigrants from Hong Kong. So uh, when I was talking to Ellie McKay, who did the illustrations, I, I asked her um, whether she would like to have characters who are from Hong Kong or from India. But, you know, I want it one or the other because I want it to show patterning in this book that you can be from a different culture and you can, you can, keep, you can keep the things that are important to you and to your family and still be an American, still be a Canadian. Mm. What a wonderful underlying message. As you're talking about this, I'm thinking my of my own mother, who, of course, was born and um, grew up in Italy. And yes. sometimes people will say to me, where did you get your passion for breastfeeding? And my answer is always the same. My mother, my mother. Uh, I would go to the hospital and I would see all these really stupid things we would tell people about breastfeeding. And I, then I would go home and tell my mother what we 
<laughs> what we told parents at the hospital, she'd say, oh, that's baloney. And, you know, she was very much about uh, the idea of what we now call cue-based feedings. She was very much about co-sleeping. She was very much about all of those kinds of things, which, you know, really only in the last few years here in the U.S., and I'm not sure about Canada, you know, has that sort of come to the forefront. And so I really like how you have woven this into the bit about patterning and the fact that we can, in, in fact, take those gifts, indeed, gifts with us. Now, Marcia, you, you spoke about the illustration. I distinctly remember this because you and I probably had a very long phone conversation about this. I remember that on the initial 1998 publication, mm-hmm. there was this, um, the picture of the woman who was breastfeeding and the breasts were, I mean, it was a drawing, but nonetheless, the breast was obvious. Yes, on the cover. Yeah, and that caused a big stir. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I sure can. Um, That was the second book that I'd ever had published. My first book came out in 1996, this one in 1998. And I was adamant with my publisher that uh, there would be a bare breast on the cover and that um, very overtly show a breastfeeding baby. Um, In Canada, there wasn't so much of uh, controversy about that. But in the U.S., uh, there were all these pre-orders, you know, Barnes & Noble, various um, bookstores. And uh, once they opened up the boxes and saw that cover, they just, like, you know, um, closed them all back up and sent them all back. So it was for me because this was my second book it's not like I had a whole you know arm length of books uh, to fall back on or anything and my reputation could have been ruined but then what happened was it became sort of like an underground bestseller because it was adopted by the Leche League and so people you know um, almost like you know have you seen this book and you know you open up your your coat and you you take it out like contraband right (laughs) And say, this is really good. This is the only children's book that's like this. And, you know, so it became very, very popular, but not through stores, not through stores, but through the breastfeeding community worldwide. Now, Marcia, I'm very curious. You must have known that when you said to your publisher that you were adamant about a bare breast being on the cover, you must have known that that was going to not necessarily fly real well, right? Well, but we felt that it was an important message. My um, my publisher at the time, the children's publisher for um, uh, Fitzhenry and Whiteside at the time was Gail Winskill, and she was an avid breastfeeding mother herself. And she said, this is a really important message and she said, I, I, I don't care if we get flack as long as people buy the book. And she said, they will love this book. Um, we, nobody expected the kind of flack. And maybe that's because we're Canadian. And, you know, so you can do a lot of things in Canada that you can't do in the States. Um, we're not quite as conservative as you guys. And, and there, I would say, especially us folk on the East Coast, mm-hmm. uh, at the time, I remember going to the West Coast, and that didn't didn't give as big of a flap, you know. But the the folks in my neighborhood, yeah, that was a that was a little little shocky. But but nonetheless, it seems like you had the wherewithal to really be 
following your convictions. You felt that was an important message. You said, we're going to put it on the cover and somehow we're going to make it sell. And it sounds like you just found a different way to make it sell, which was to kind of partner with La Leche League. Um, Yes. And that wasn't even intentional to partner with La Leche League. It was just something that happened. And it was because I was already, uh, you know, friends with a lot of people who were in La Leche League. By that time, my son was uh, eight years old, you know, so it wasn't really, um, I was out of the breastfeeding community in that way. But, you know, I had invented a breast pad. And at that time, too, just around that time, I I was still very much um, looped into the breastfeeding community. And so it just was a natural thing that happened. And thank goodness it did, because, you know, that may have been the last book that I was ever allowed to write. Yeah, because I'm thinking uh, it's so, as an author myself, I know that sometimes I shouldn't take things personally, but... You know, you kind of, you kind of do. You kind of feel like, well, they're not buying it, and it's about me, and it's really hard to get past that. Uh, speaking of breasts and breastfeeding, before we end up this segment, I would just like to uh, thank those very generous sponsors that we have had uh, for this program. I'd like to thank Nuru makers of full coverage baby wear shirt, the new Roo pocket, and many other products that promote skin-to-skin contact between mother and baby, visit Nuru at N-U-R-O-O-Baby.com. That's N-U-R-O-O-Baby.com. And also would like to thank New Angel. Empower moms with product support. This is a wonderful opportunity to find real things that are made by mothers and for mothers. Shop at newangel.com for mother and baby. That's www.nuangel.com. Don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here with uh, Marsha, and we will be right back right after this break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you getting ready for your IBLCE exam? Do you want a time-saving review without having to travel? Marie Biancuso's new guided study review is the perfect resource for you. If you're wanting to listen on the go, get our premier package, which includes over 60 12-minute audio casts, a 400-page companion guide, and much more. Best of all, you'll get a live Q&A session with Marie via webinar. You'll walk into the exam confident you'll pass. Call today at 703-787-9894 or visit us at www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. 
To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I am here today with author, uh, children's book author, Marsha Skripik. And Marsha has been talking with us about the development of her book, The Best Gifts. And Marsha, we talked a little bit at the beginning of the break about, or before the break, about how there were some politics to the way in which the book was presented, really, with that image that was on the front. Mm -hmm. Uh, The new book has a completely different look. Can you tell us about how that transformation came to be, and what do you hope to achieve with that new look? Well, those are great questions, Marie. Thank you. Um, the the original book was published in 1998, and those those illustrations, lovely as they were, look dated now. Yeah. And so, when the publisher came back to me with uh, uh, a you know uh, a question, the question was, would I like to have brand new illustrations for uh, now? Or would I like to have them reprint the book the way that it was done in uh, uh, 1998, sort of like the classic, you know, redo? Which would I like to do? And I said, please let me have uh, new illustrations. And the reason that I really wanted new illustrations was because um, the original illustrations, much as I loved them and much as I loved the fact that there was a breast on the cover and, you know, a nursing baby on the cover, the people in the book were all blonde and blue-eyed. (laughs) <laughs> and that yeah. was not something that I had anticipated. And the reason that that happened was because the illustrator herself was fair and she was using her own family as her models. Sure. Understandable. It, it kind of threw me for a loop because, you know, when you do a book, the illustrator and the author uh, do their own thing. It's not like I can tell the illustrator what to do and I would be offended if she told me what to write. And so she used her own creativity and came up with these beautiful um, illustrations, but it was not what I imagined because my whole way of thinking is all about um, immigrant stories. That's just, you know, um, uh, new journeys, you know, coming to a new country. And so to me, that that part of the story was not conveyed in those illustrations. So this time I asked if I could choose the illustrator myself, and they said yes. And that's the nice thing about having so many books out. Yes. And, you know, winning many awards and all this kind of thing is that you get a little bit more clout. A little more clout. clout. <laughs> yes. And so I um, scoured so many portfolios. And I selected Ellie McKay. And uh, what I love about what she does is it's very soft. And um, these are not actual paintings. They're called theater clouds. And what she does is she does a painting and then she cuts it out. And then she has um, like a big light table and she'll put fabric on the light table. And then she'll take the people that she drew and then cut out. And then she puts them there and then she photographs that with different kinds of light so it gives it a real 3d effect and it's just so soft and it's just you know I just weep with the beauty of these illustrations but also the fact that I gave her the um, choice of choosing the cultural group that she wanted to uh, uh, illustrate herself and she chose 
uh, people from India because of the rich palette of colors. So this book just explodes with emotion and color and, you know, like the faces on these people, everything about it, I just love. And to me, it's just, it, it's such a privilege to work with someone like Ellie. I, I hope she's listening right now because you gave her such high praise. <laughs> oh, sweetie pie. Well, the other thing is, Marcia, could you address just for a bit? I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that your formal training is a librarian, right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, tell me how you. Why do you th- think that these illustrations are so important for children? Well. Um, a book has to be, a children's book must be approachable for a child. But also, we can't underestimate the intelligence of even the youngest child. So you want to have something that is respectful to the child, but engaging as well. And, you know, the thing about a picture book is that there's more than one audience because you've got the parent mm-hmm. or the adult reading the book yep. and then the child who is uh, listening to the book and then after a while patterning and reading back as well. So you've got to, it's like holding all these balls in the air. So the words and the illustrations have to have so much there that each time you have, you know, you read the book, you discover something new. And so what I love about these illustrations is that you, every single time you look at them, you will find something else. And you'll just be sort of mesmerized by the fact that there are so many tiny little details in every single picture, that you will pick out something else. And so each time a child has this read to them, they find it fresh. But also for a parent, you know, the last thing that I want is someone saying, oh, no, you're not going to have me read another Marcia Scrippick book, are you? <laughs> <laughs> I want them to want to read it. Right, And so right. to have enough things there that it engages the parent as well is really important. I, I would agree, because I think that uh, sometimes you really do hear the parent kind of not wanting to do that book one more time. And what you're saying is that this illustration, or illustrations, or illustrator, uh, those images have become fascinating to the parent who's reading the book, mm-hmm. but yes. comprehensible and and give a good message to the baby. A good message, but not in a dictatorial way, like uh, more uh, letting them discover the message as opposed to being prescribed the message. So So the revelation from the point of view of the child reading it again and again and again. So, Marsha, let me tell you something that happened one time when I was teaching, I don't know, some course in Atlanta several years ago. And apparently I had made the comment several times about how talking to the mother when she's pregnant about breastfeeding is too late, too late, too late, too late. And apparently I kind of really hammered that uh, onto the audience. And finally, one person raised her hand and she said, so, Marie, we all get it. Talking to the mother about (laughs) breastfeeding during pregnancy is too late. So when should we be talking to the mother about breastfeeding? And I hesitated for a moment, and I said, when she's in the fourth grade. Or and, earlier. And yeah. yeah, and you know, the whole room rocked with laughter. And I later thought to myself, no, actually, probably <laughs> before, before she goes to kindergarten, certainly. Yeah. But uh, is there research to show that the kids are really impressionable about these kinds of things? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, there have been many studies to show that uh, patterning at a young age sets the stage for uh, later success. So patterning, um, not only uh, success in breastfeeding, so like a young child who isn't given a, a little girl who is not given a doll with a baby bottle, but is, uh, you know, um, shown to breastfeed that doll, will has more of a, a chance of becoming a breastfeeding mother, right? And the same thing, um, a child who is exposed to uh, books at a very young age, and I mean even one month old, one week old, uh, has more of a, a chance of being a reader as an adult. All of this, all of this comes down to uh, children. So I guess I'm thinking too of, uh, I had lunch with a friend of mine yesterday. I was really, actually it was breakfast, kind of a late breakfast yesterday with a friend of mine and all of her children have been just stupendously successful, smart, etc. And I said, how is it that you were able to be so influential with with getting your kids to be at the top of their high school class, get into good colleges and so forth? And she said to me, well, let me give you the answer that my kids themselves give. I said, oh, by all means. She said, my kids attribute it to the idea that I read to them from the time that they were tiny babies. Yep. Uh, what would you say about that? I I agree totally. Um, the patterning is just so important, and it's not just a matter of uh, um, reading to a child, but having the child see the parent read and enjoy reading. So when when my son was a newborn, I would read the Globe and Mail to him out loud, like that's the <laughs> Canada's national newspaper. Now he did not understand it. It was that I wanted to read the paper, but I also knew that he needed to hear my voice. Uh, and you know that that is just so important uh, to enjoy reading yourself. Uh, but also to share it with your um, child and to make it part of your family uh, life every yes. single day. And starting, and, you know, again, you're, you're saying start as a child. You can start doing that before the child is born. There's no reason that you can't read oh, yes. baby in utero. No and, reason and why not. I, I want to add their music as well. Yes. Yeah, there have been really wonderful studies that have shown how kids respond to music that apparently they you know, kind of make the connection, so to speak, so that if you have uh, had them in utero with Beethoven, then after uh, they're born, they relate to Beethoven. And if you gave them Beatles, then they related to Beatles or whatever it was. And so uh, I'm I'm very interested. Uh, Marsha, in, in the time that we have left in this segment, you've used this term several times, and I want to make sure that everybody understands, what do you mean by patterning? Well, that's a, that's a good question, Marie. Um, patterning to me is uh, you, you don't just talk the talk, you, you walk the life. So don't just say to your child, um, it's good to read. You do it, and uh. you show them that you're doing it. It's the same thing as breastfeeding. Don't just say to people, well, you know, it's really important to breastfeed, and then you don't do it yourself. You really have to um, be sincere about your convictions, and that means that you live the things that you believe in, and you demonstrate every single day, you know, the importance of those things, and your child will adopt those because they can see the sincerity because you're doing it yourself. You know, that makes so much sense to me. Uh, I'm thinking of just the simple things that I do that I don't even think about doing really. And it's because my mother did it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and um, 
I guess I I wasn't even necessarily making that connection that it is that when I saw her crimp a pie crust with her left hand and right thumb that well that's how you crimp a pie crust you know uh, right. yep. and and so you're saying that it's beyond mimicking it's beyond imitating it is really taking on that mantle of of whatever it is that the parent is talking the talk and walking the walk at the same time. It's shaping a life is what it is. It shapes the life. I, my, my mother would sit on the sofa with my sister and I, and we would all be cuddled up together on the sofa, all reading our own books. Oh, That's cool. one of my fondest memories. And like we did it right uh, until we were teens and went to university, you wow. know, um, sitting together, reading books. Before we go to the break, I'll tell you a, a funny story, which is um, uh, my husband and I had been dating for a while and uh, one time we were sitting at my uh, place and I had a professional journal in my hand and he had the newspaper in his hand and he was on the couch, kind of sprawled out. And I said, can I come over and sit with you? And he said, sure. And <laughs> we kind of cuddled up the way that you mentioned that your mother and your sisters did. And honestly, we sat there for like, you know, two hours. And I thought, I could marry this guy. This would be okay. You know, this works. Oh, too funny. Some great observations, Marcia. Some really, really great observations. Hey, everybody, do not go away. I'm going to ask Marcia to talk about the working mother and her book relating to that on the other side of the break. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you getting ready for your IBLCE exam? Do you want a time-saving review without having to travel? Marie Biancuso's new guided study review is the perfect resource for you. If you're wanting to listen on the go, get our premier package, which includes over 60 12-minute audio casts, a 400-page companion guide, and much more. Best of all, you'll get a live Q&A session with Marie via webinar. You'll walk into the exam confident you'll pass. Call today at 703-787-9894 or visit us at www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here with uh, children's author and award-winning author, I might add, um, 
Marsha Skripik. Uh, Marsha, before we were talking about your breastfeeding book, which I'm not just saying this to make you feel better. Honest to God, it really is my my totally favorite book uh, for children. But uh, I want to talk to you about another book that you have out for young families called When Mama Goes to Work. I am guessing from the statistics that Voice America provides to me that the vast majority of our listeners today are, in fact, mothers who are either at work or they're going back to work. So uh, tell us a little bit about When Mama Goes to Work. Well, um, let me tell you why I wrote it, first of all. Uh, uh, Just in talking to a lot of moms and also people who are involved in uh, nursery school and preschool, uh, with you know with children i I realized that there were lots of books about fathers who work. there were lots of books about children going to school first day of school, first day of nursery school, first day of daycare, all this kind of thing, but nothing about the perspective of what the mother does once she leaves the child and so I got the feeling you know talking to kids that sometimes they thought when their mother dropped them off that then their mother went and got better kids to play with all day (laughs) and you know so I wanted to write this book to show that what mom is doing while they're at school or daycare or whatever is really similar to what they're doing but you know play for a child is work Yes. And what a mom does is work. You know, they each get their special bag. They each have, pack a lunch. They each talk to friends. They both miss each other, but think of each other. And know, you know, the child knows that his mom's going to be back. And the mom knows that she misses her son or daughter, but she's going to be back too. And, you know, so it's a very comforting um, story, just told in very light verse, uh, to make a child understand that what they're doing is just as important as what their mom is doing or what their dad is doing, but it's different, and they all have the things that they need to be doing. I so love that idea. When I was in nursing school, we had an instructor who insisted that the child's job was to play. Mm-hmm. Just like your job is to write and my job is to teach or be a nurse, uh, the the child's job is to play. And um, yes, yes. And if a child doesn't get a chance to play, then that child can never really be a functioning adult. Yes. Yes, and I would also say that there is some very interesting research that shows that kids are very creative before you kind of swat them down for their creativity, the kid who you say, no, 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 don't touch that, don't taste that, don't color outside the lines, you know, all of that kind of squashes their their creativity. And so it feels to me as though you have helped the child through this story to understand that that he's sort of creating his own future. Is that right? Yes, yes. yes. And also, to um, it's it's uh, it's about self respect too, so that mm. the child realizes that what they're doing is very important every single day. It's really similar to what their mom is doing. You know, uh, they're they're they have their special bag. And when I read this out loud to kids, I always say, "Well, who here has a mom who has a special bag? What is the bag?" And you know, sometimes it'll be a gym bag. Other times it'll be an art bag. Sometimes it'll be a doctor's bag. You know, briefcase, whatever. Yeah. yeah, a computer bag, and then the kids too. And what's your bag? And you know, they'll say a Snoopy bag. Right, you know, <laughs> all their bags too. 
And, you know, but it, it just, it makes them understand that there is a pattern to life. Yes. Yes. I, I love that. And of course, that goes back to patterning, which you were talking about in the last segment. Marcia, if I am correct, I believe that you dedicated that book to your mother and your grandmother. Uh, Both were, my grandmothers and my mother, uh, because they all uh, work. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, my, my mother worked since I was uh, a year old. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was nine. Um, but even be- before that, my, my dad and mom owned a business together. And so, you know, I was uh, at daycare, you know, in the 1950s when no one else was in daycare. That's what I was thinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, uh, and I have deep admiration for my mom, for all the balls that she had in the air, for the kinds of things that she was able to do. And then, you know, as well, after my parents split up, she raised me and my sister on her own and with a woman's wage in the 1960s, if you can imagine. Oh, brother. And my, my sister has a PhD in psychiatric nursing, and I'm, you know, an award-winning author with 19 books. I think she did a damn did good a, job. Yeah, <laughs> most definitely. So, Marcia, funny that you should bring this up because I'm one of the shows that I have planned uh, – for this later, the later this season, is to talk about when mothers who are breastfeeding go back to work. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they kind of think is that, at least this has been my experience, talking with many mothers over many years, no, I, I can't start breastfeeding because I have to go back to work. Okay, well, you know, let's talk about that. And so many times they think that they have to go back to the same job with the same boss, with the same responsibility, the same hours, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, nowadays there are so many other options. And it's very rare that I hear a woman say, I'd like to have a job where I could work from home. Now, I'm thinking that being an author is about as work from home as anything ever could be. Yeah, that's very true. Um, were you? I, I could not imagine myself having a coherent thought with a baby around, <laughs> breastfeeding or otherwise. But um, how, how did that work out for you? Were you uh, able to do some writing, any writing, 19 books writing, Uh, when my my son was young I I wrote freelance I did freelance so many times I would be breastfeeding and on the keyboard I was actually really good at that balancing him somehow with my elbow and (laughs) and keyboarding at the same time I could knit as well and breastfeed I I could also drink beer and breastfeed I could do many things and breastfeed Um, read tons of books and breastfeed Um, but uh I did mostly freelance stuff until my son was in kindergarten. And then once he was in kindergarten, that's when I started to write books. But because I could have coherent thoughts, but they were short, coherent thoughts. Yes. Not yes. until he was uh, in school could, it, could my coherent thoughts, you know, um, break, span more than, say, 8,000 words. Yes, because I'm thinking I am right now starting to revise my my fall course and when I get on as I say a roll you know I want two or three hours where I can really hunker down over that but I also realize that I've done things like in my younger day I had a a regular column that was called the breastfeeding advisor so you know as you say that that's a much shorter thing to address nowadays it would be blogging those sorts of things 
Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, it's just something that I hope that people can sort of get a grip on. Uh, Marsha, also, I'm thinking that my mother, who, by the way, um, she really read to her kids a lot, even though English was not her first language, but she absolutely mastered English, no doubt about it. And uh, yet she would read stuff to me like Charlotte's Web or The Little Engine That Could or my very favorite called The Surprise Doll. And it, actually, if she went shopping, she would always bring me a golden book. And so she would barely get in the door, but what I would say to her, Mommy, did you bring me a golden book? <laughs> that was always sort of part of what I got. But anyway, here's, here's the thing. Um, your books are not like that. Your books seem to speak much more to the child's uh, perception of himself or his family. How did you get to kind of that that very different kind of style of writing? Well, I, I write for myself. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. a terribly selfish thing to say, but it's no, true. That's okay. I write, I write the stories that I wished I could read when I was a kid. Now, I didn't learn to read until I was nine years old. So this means that my mother read to me for a very, very long time. And she read The Little Engine That Could to me, and she read all those golden books to me, uh-huh. and I liked them, um, but they didn't really they didn't really click with me. Resonate. And then what she would read herself, she'd read like big, fat historical novels. And so it ended up, for me, none of those books that were written for kids clicked for me at all. And the things that clicked for me, the very first book that I ever read was Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens when I was nine years old. And it's because it was meaty, but also because it was about a child doing things like from a child's point of view, um, having the control. Everything was about the autonomy of the child. And so all of the books that I write now are always very respectful of the child, but also from the perspective of the child, but also family is of primary importance. Mm-hmm. It's just my perspective and it's just the way that I write. And so I'm, I'm thankful that readers actually like what I'm writing, but I didn't do it for them. I did it for myself because I still only write the books that I really, really want to read now because I still am a child. Um, and wanted to be able to read when I was a child. Well, you know, I'm I'm chuckling a little bit because I'm thinking, I too uh, have written a book, and I wrote the things that I wish would have been in a book when I needed one, and I teach a course, and I put in there the things that I would have wished would, <laughs> would have been in a course that I could have had access to. You know, I suppose we all do that to some extent. Uh Marsha, did your experience of having a child yourself or even having a child grow a year older each year, did that influence your writing? A little bit, yes. Um, my son was the opposite of me. He he read his first book when he was two years old, and it just about blew me away. Holy. And so uh, for for me and for him, you know, this it's it's also the whole thing about the self respect of knowing that a child is intelligent no matter how much how much or little they display of intelligence. Does that make sense? Yes. So absolutely. I want to write story stories that can be approached on many different levels for any any audience and just respecting however it is that they want to approach that story. And this that is goes for my picture books as well as my novels. That is so cool. I'm thinking 
Every kid in America and every kid in Canada would probably love to just sit down and just let you read them a story. I'm trying to sort of conjure that up in my own mind as you're speaking. Uh, everyone, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here with award-winning uh, book author, author of 19 books for children and young adults, uh, Marcia Skripik. And we will be back right after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you getting ready for your IBLCE exam? Do you want a time-saving review without having to travel? Marie Biancuso's new guided study review is the perfect resource for you. If you're wanting to listen on the go, get our premier package, which includes over 60 12-minute audio casts, a 400-page companion guide, and much more. Best of all, you'll get a live Q&A session with Marie via webinar. You'll walk into the exam confident you'll pass. Call today at 703-787-9894 or visit us at www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I am here today with award-winning author for children's books, Marsha Skripik, whom I've known for years but have had a delightful time talking to this evening, and I'm hoping that you're enjoying this as well. Marsha, I'm thinking that as we wrap up the show, it occurs to me that you are a librarian, you are an author, you are a parent, uh, and you're also very well read just from being just a human being. In your opinion, what constitutes good children's literature? How, as, as a parent goes to look for a book, what, what defines good literature from the standpoint of um, children's books? Um, for me, a really good children's book will always be subversive. Okay. And what I mean by that is that you don't want to have a book that teaches a certain thing or, you know, has some parent or some adult saying, this is the way that it should be. I want you to learn ABC. Because for a child, they're not going to be interested in that. A child always wants to have a book that somehow they think that they've got a secret or, or one thing up on their parents that their parents didn't understand. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's really, really important to uh, incorporate that into 
a book. And I think that, you know, you had mentioned that my books seem to always have like a parent, a, a kid in the center and then family and that, that, you know, that's the core of my books. But that's also because I write subversive children's literature, because I am writing it from the perspective of a child, but they're seeing things in a way that a parent might not necessarily even suspect that they see it. Um, and just as an example, one of my um, best-known books here in Canada, it's a novel, and it's called Making Bombs for Hitler. And it is, like, super popular. And many people, like parents, they just sort of gasp when they hear the title the of title. that. The title, sure. Um, but it's about a child who's captured as a slave laborer in World War II and forced to make bombs for Hitler. But, you know, the very fact that the title makes adults gasp makes kids want to read it. Mm. And so this is what we always have to do. It's not, you don't want to say to a kid, do this because it's good for you. Right. You want them to hide it from you and sneak it into their room and read it, on, you know, under the <laughs> covers with a flashlight. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, and the other thing I'm picking up from you is that the kid should not pick up that this is necessarily instructive, even though it might be instructive. Right. He's not being instructed? No, no, not yeah. being instructed uh, and not being told to do something by an adult. Yes. But uh, the, the child discovers something on their own. Oh, I and like so, that word. You know, yeah, you, you craft, you craft a, a book or a novel for a child uh, and let them discover things. And so even in my picture book, The Best Gifts, and my other picture book, When Mama Goes to Work, kids will discover things in there that they, they you know, a lot of times won't even think that adults have noticed. Mm. And, you know, they're put there very intentionally so that each time that they go back to those books, they'll find those things and, and get a real chuckle out of them. Well, and, and let's think about it. Even as adults, we don't necessarily want something presented to us all neat and tidy. Sometimes we want to discover it for ourselves, you know? Well, um, yes, and it's also being respectful of the audience because, yeah. you know, I'm a true believer in the intelligence of all children. We all have different intelligences, but we are all intelligent, including the youngest child. So you give them something that they can crack apart, a book that they can crack apart at their own pace and their own you know applying their own kind of intelligence but there's enough there that everybody can get a little bit out do you know what i mean i do i do i i absolutely do and marcia for the benefit of those who might not have joined us from the beginning of the show um tell us really as we think about your 19 books, which, by the way, it sounds to me like you've written a book almost every year, uh, what are the take-home points that you would really hope that the parent would be able to, or the listener would be able to take home with them after uh, after you and I sit down and have a good drink after this? Well, I mean, the very most important thing for parents is to spend time with their children. And you can spend time with your child uh, when they're very young by breastfeeding. You can spend time with your child by sitting down and reading a book together. You can spend time together by cuddling up on a sofa and reading together. And it doesn't matter what the book is. It's who's doing the reading. That mm. is the most important thing. Mm. And you know, a, a father can participate too. A father isn't breastfeeding, but a father can 
cuddle up beside the mother and the child as the mom is breastfeeding. This is the most important thing that you can give to a child is time and love. Oh, no argument there. Uh, that I, I will admit, though, I was pretty amazed with that litany of things you told me you could do while you were breastfeeding, inclu- <laughs> including read a book for yourself. Uh, which, by the way, I just want to point out, if you're bottle feeding, you really can't do that because that's a two-handed deal. Yeah, and how could you possibly knit when you're bottle feeding? Come on. I don't know you because... I, I have knit for more than 50 years, and I don't think that I could knit and breastfeed at the same time. <laughs> well, your arms are probably too short. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. <laughs> so would it be fair to say that relaxation for the parent figures into this as well, Marsha? Yes. I mean, good point, Marie, because a parent must be relaxed and must uh, uh, take pleasure in the company of their own children, And, you know, kids are smart and they will clue into the fact of, you know, whether you are comfortable with them. And, you know, so to relax into breastfeeding, to relax into reading books together is is very, very important. Playing a board game together, you know, all sorts of things that really don't cost money but do cost time. All those things will provide relaxation and enjoyment for the whole family. Do you think in just any simple experiential kind of way, do you think that this this giving of milk and accepting of milk is one of the ways in which children learn to relate to each other? And oh, by the way, having the book to go with it is a wonderful way to sort of have both that... uh, that personal contact, but still be inside your own head at the same time. Oh, isn't that neat? I love that, Marie. (laughs) I would agree with that totally. Um, You know, the the other thing, when I wrote The Best Gifts, uh, what I found was a lot of times it would be the older sibling of a breastfeeding baby who would really relate to The Best Gifts because... You know, they they could see themselves. They could see that they're not they're not sharing the breast anymore, but they're sharing a book, and they can share a book with the baby and with their parents, right? And Absolutely. so it's this continuity and the patterning um, that there are all sorts of different ways of spending time and love with family members. Wow. Well, I got to tell you that the uh, spending time and love certainly speaks to me. Uh, I like to read. I like to uh, have that relationship. And interestingly enough, sometimes it's something as simple as a book that brings people together. And even the fact that I met you (laughs) is certainly testimony to that. Uh, I hope that everyone has enjoyed the show today. I have been here with award-winning author Marsha Skripik. Marsha has 19 different books. Marsha, quick, quick, tell us where is the best place, I assume, places like Amazon.com uh, for online. Do you have any ebooks, Marsha? Uh, yes, a number of my books are available um, as ebooks. So, yeah, you can go to Amazon.com. Um, you can also take a look at my own website, which is um Kala.com, C-A-L-L-A dot C-O-M. Very good. Uh, I would encourage parents to do that. I would also encourage parents to take a look at uh, all of the wonderful things that you can find 
from our friends at newangel.com. That's N-U-A-N-G-E-L.com. And also Nuru, N-U-R-O-O baby.com. And meanwhile, I guess it would be time to say that this always goes way, way too fast. I'm Marie Biancuto. I promise that I will help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts next Monday, same time, same channel. And in the meanwhile, just remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. We'll be right back.